Hello, may I welcome you to episode 69 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight to others working or have worked in this wonderful industry as they delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. In this episode, we discover how my guest began within the industry in 1997 as a part-time venture having no background in removals and storage. We discuss his challenges and boy did he have a huge personal one. What he would change from his moving past, his high points, what changes he would make to the industry, the advice he would give starting out again, his predictions for the next five years and what he does outside of the workplace. But sadly, we don't end moving matters with a funny moving story, as my guest hadn't one to tell, but please don't hold that against him. My guest this episode is Derek Milner, Managing Director of In Transit Removals and Storage. Enjoy! Good morning, Derek. Welcome to Moving Matters. How are you this morning? Good morning. I'm not too bad, thank you. Can you tell everyone about yourself and the length of time within the industry? Yeah, certainly. Um, basically, I started as a part-time venture, and the company was founded in 1997. I didn't come from any background in removal and storage world at all. I was actually an electrician prior not a household electrician. I actually fixed street lights for a living, believe it or not. Wow. And I, in theory, simply sold my car, bought a transit van, and then I noticed I was getting people asking me to move things after work, that sort of thing, and just decided that it was something I could make some money out of. So... As it goes on, I purchased my first Luton. So I had a, a Luton and a transit, and I was delivering for shops, sofas, and beds, etc. For after I finished my main job, my daily job. And I'd done a delivery. I can remember it quite well to a sweet old lady, done a delivery, and she said, um, Do you do house removals? And I was sort of like, <laughs> no and she said you do now <laughs> and it literally honestly kicked off from that conversation uh, sadly she passed away a couple of years ago I moved her twice in my time I've moved her family as well and she'll never be forgot because of that person that I actually kicked off in the industry and from then on, it got a little bit serious. So what made you go out and buy a transit? Um, at the time, obviously, transit vans were the way to go. I can't honestly remember why I sold my car to purchase a transit van unless there was some sort of link with... I've always been into motorsport off-road type stuff one way or the other it could have been linked to something to do with that a way of getting a motocross bike around at weekends that sort of thing i think it probably was actually but as i said then it was a case of if you got a van all of a sudden everybody wants to use you to move their sofa or whatever more so obviously now we've got man in van is uh, everywhere you go but back then, it was a little bit more unusual for somebody to have a a van as their mode of transport. So people just seemed to utilize the fact they knew somebody that could do something for them. And I just saw a market, if you like, for that sort of thing on a lower scale than a removal company. Yeah. But I actually enjoyed it. And then kind of realized I could make a business from it. I had already passed what was back in the day, a class two HGV, which is C class LGV. If you like now, Yeah. I was put through that by my previous company. 
hadn't really driven much at all and haven't really got that much interest in uh, the driving side as in truck driving but it was a big advantage to having that straight away so then as the removal side of it kicked off and it got to the stage of hiring seven and a half ton trucks that sort of thing and the progression was just on from there um i gained my o license well obviously i i already had my um hgv if you like and so o license was the next thing and and i had a business that i ended up renting an office from and land from which helped me progress into getting my own license etc and it just went on from there i mean we we don't want to fast forward too much into the present time more but obviously um gaining my international o license and my um level 3 cpc if you like in yeah. being a national transport manager international transport manager yeah and as things progressed the thing that helped me out is company wise most was having something else to do other than removals right yeah we know what the market is like i mean everybody is in a bit of a state of things right now as we speak because the market is so <laughs> quiet or last minute or non-existent really <laughs> depending on where you are in the country yeah exactly and it is so if you haven't got anything other to do you might be in a bit of a pickle yeah yeah so the advantage I had was probably more so initially, I was delivering for shops, for department stores, if you like, sofas and recliner armchairs, all the stuff that you can't fit in your car. They had their own delivery, but that was from new stuff from their warehouse that comes in from their manufacturers. So if somebody went in and bought a three-piece, they might buy a discounted three-piece off the shop floor. Yeah. It was that shop floor stuff that we were employed to deliver. And that then progressed on when the removals started and I got involved in the removal industry, I still kept the shops going in the background. And then moving on, we did a lot of charity-based delivery as charities got more so to have their own furniture and electrical type stores at its peak i was running four vans a day liveried in their company name six days a week oh wow the trouble with all that sort of thing it sounds very good and as we know, obviously the finance into the company was very good, but also the costs of doing it was very high as well. Yeah, yeah. So it was great turnover to work in and around very fluctuating removal business. Yeah. You had money coming in constantly from the other work. But it crossed over a little bit. I mean, they're not the easiest people to work for. <laughs> and so, yeah, back in the day, around 2015, 16, I was running 15 vehicles and an average of 22 staff. Wow. Three office staff. And, of course, myself, I do anything at all and literally work seven days a week. Anything and everything. And that continues to today, yeah. But I don't see it as work. A lot of people think, oh, you know, all you do is work. In theory, it's true. But A, I love it. And yeah. B, it doesn't feel like work because I've created very much. It's like a second home, nearly. Is it like a hobby, Derek? Yes, very much so. Yeah. 
Yeah. A little bit of an obsessive hobby, yeah. Colin, to be honest. But I am pretty proud of it in a very quiet way. I don't shout about it. I don't mm. I don't need to. But I think I've done a lot of things right. One big one is trying to keep the company out of debt. Yeah. So all the vehicles are most of them are bought and paid for. Yeah. Certainly all the trucks that I run again going back in 2015 with the 15 vehicles that I had then the four that were subleased by the other company that I no longer work for. Right. That was a lot of grief being subleased, basically. So they leased the vehicles, got them in their name, in their livery. Yeah. I then paid them for the use of those vehicles six days a week. It was a little bit of a fiddle from their point of view, but the advantage that I had, I, I'm very much a Mercedes lover when it comes to vans. And trucks? Um, oh, yeah, contentious. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> actually, yes, I would say yes. I'm a little bit of a Scania fan yeah. for the 15 ton upwards or in our language, five, six pallet trucks. Yeah. yeah. To me, they look like a removal truck. I know that's a little bit of a cliche, but they do. Four pallet trucks. I've currently got two that are both Mercedes. I've only got one seven and a half tonner left because of obviously uh, involvement with weight and the DVSA and everything else. I mean, my O license is very much running on green. So if my truck drives past our DVSA friends, we don't flag up is a necessity for them to pull us over. Right. So, yes, obviously, you know, things go wrong. I've previously been overweight on one axle on a seven and a half tonner going back years ago. I can't even remember what the details are here. But it's insignificant now. I mean, it's gone and forgot. And I also got pinched for having a vehicle out without being taxed. Oof. Which hurt. Yeah, I bet. And again, there there are some reasons for that. Not being lapse operator. There was a number of reasons why that didn't happen. And yeah, you know, I apologize about it all and uh, pay my dues and. Um, a lesson learned. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that, Colin. What else can you say, you know? But yeah, if I could afford a newer 5.6 pallet truck, as in me get one built, then certainly quite possibly a newer Mercedes chassis Yeah. on something 18 tonner. But because I buy all my um, vehicles secondhand, as in I don't go in for this bodybuilding lark and mainly because of the financial element yeah it's very risky to put a removal company in i don't know make it up 70 to 120 thousand pounds worth of financial debt if you like for one vehicle that's sat up in the yard yeah that's the way that i've looked at it and thankfully it's paid off because I've been through recessional times, but nothing like they are right now. And it's not over yet either. I've got a feeling that this will certainly go through into this time next year. So we've got another year of it, I think. Again, only my opinion. The advantage that everybody should do really is you need to remember the basics. When things get tough, you need to start pushing your marketing pushing your, your advertising where possible. Every now and again, I still do um, some hard copy advertising. Yeah, I've got half page, full page in some publications. I've got some in front of me, actually. The, uh, one's called Marlborough Living, which obviously Marlborough is just up the road from us here. Yeah, And a lot of people look at it still 
yeah, okay, maybe a lot of older people look at it because they're not sitting on their phone staring at <laughs> Googling everything all the time or staring at Facebook. You mean there's actually people that don't Facebook and Google? Come on, Derek. Uh, a few. <laughs> but the idea is obviously to appeal to everyone. Yeah. And the cost has come down a hell of a lot as well. I mean, you know, you can get a half page in a paper publication a quarter of what you used to pay for it. And I do my own way of marketing online. I don't pay for any Google advertising. I've been bitten by that before. So I let the fact that we're well found. And again, when it comes to Facebook, I mean, I've been on there, I don't know, 15 years. So I did the social media advertising years ago yeah found out what uh achilles hill that was <laughs> the sort of people that you got as a client which are the people generally that want something for nothing the tire kickers of this world you got it 100 percent. so even though my company is well seen and well known of I don't have to spend my money advertising in that way. Good way of getting your name out there is to actually just get it out there. Just get the vehicles out doing things. I breezed on what we do instead of removals to keep the company going. Obviously, um, a good financial thing is storage floating in the background. But then the problem you got with that is chasing the people every month to pay for the storage. Well, let's come back to that a minute. Can you tell everybody about your company and the services it offers? Obviously, storage being one. Obviously, the main thing that we say we are is domestic removers and stores. Yeah. We do business in the office removal relocation, but mainly domestic removers and stores indeed containerized storage indoors we have got some shipping containers but they really remain full all the time we don't push them for people to store their furniture household effects in them because we don't feel that that's the best way to store them we did have 300 250 cubic feet containers stored in two warehouses with something i'll explain in a minute actually i reduced down to one warehouse reduced the containers now i think i've got around 130 maybe slightly less than that actually but uh, around that figure and the storage comes and goes a little bit one minute you're wishing you had more containers the next minute you're wondering when somebody's gonna actually require some storage so very much up and down but mainly the domestic removal world is where i like to be again that hinges very much on the market the way the country is whether people urge to put their property on the market something i've noticed as well is the world seems to be very much in it for a financial gain so your home is no longer just seen as your home it's seen as your financial security and a way of making another few grand so you move on hoping to make money out of your house and on to the next one i find that a little bit strange but yeah from my company though I still like to be known as a domestic remover and store. The big advantage with the combination is obviously taking the storage to the door. Yeah. I still see that as the right way of doing things. Some people say that now that that's old school. No, definitely not. But I still see that that works best. Obviously, we get certain removals that we can't take the containers to the house. So we loose load, if you like, traditionally and come back to the warehouse and load the containers. But more so, yeah, I mean, you can't beat it, really. I mean, we've just done a move 
down into Totnes in Devon, and they had three containers in storage, which they cleared out their house. We moved it out into storage so they could get it on the market. So they had scaled down the contents of their home to make it more attractive. Eventually, they sold it. We moved out the remainder, put the three containers in their piano on, and drove it all down and moved it in to their new place in Totnes, and they're very happy. So the flexibility that we can offer, I think, is an attraction to clients, the way that we push it, the way that we work. And in our local area, there's a few more that do it, but not very many. So how many vehicles are you running currently? You mentioned 15 earlier, but are you still running 15 today or are you running more or less? No, I've got currently five vans, one seven and a half tonner, two 12 tonners, two 18 ton Scania's, a five pallet and a six pallet. Right. And just purchased another Scania two days ago. <laughs> And what size crew do you have these days? Um, I think there is only seven of us here. I actually also use port assistance, we call it, or trade yeah. assistance, yeah. which also is something that we're approached for as well, which gladly we do where we can. Again, you don't want too many staff sat around not really doing a lot apart from earning a couple of quid because they get bored anyway and they start looking for somewhere else to go. And also with the trade assistance being so rife across social media, I don't really ever have a problem with gaining help nearly anywhere. I've got a few people that I prefer that yeah, I use yeah. at work. But yeah, that's, 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 that's the way we work. Cool. So what challenges have you had to overcome then, Derek? Okay. Um, one of the biggest ones, um, I won't actually mention their name, but most people listening to this will know who I'm talking about anyway, but trade associations. That's quite an interesting subject. I've been in a number of some so-called trade associations since I started. There's a reason for that. I mean, it makes you feel pretty good. It makes you look more professional. You've got, hopefully, a little bit of backup for advice, that sort of thing. Again, not mentioning no names from the early days. Some of them don't exist anymore. But then I got involved with one that ended up taking me to court for um, misuse of trademark, that sort of thing. That was very stressful. Luckily, I got the right legal team behind me. That's one name I will say. If anybody needs any legal assistance, Backhouse Jones is the, literally the legal team that you need. They've represented me a number of times since. But we ended up sat in High Court in London. And it's a little bit beyond me at the time, you know. I mean, I'm little old uh, <laughs> council estate, Wiltshire born and bred <laughs> remover, not somebody that's used to being in that environment, but we did it quite well. And we won that court case hands down and they didn't really have anywhere to go with it. And it's still used to this day. I get people asking for advice yeah. and it's discussed quite a lot. I think I'm right by saying that we were in court in London early in 2014. And again, I think they took three things they were aiming at and they fell with all of them. We counterclaimed against them, which in some aspects failed, but in other ones succeeded. I gained a lot to pay my huge solicitor's fees because of obviously the case was so big. Yeah. And a very short time after that, 
me out on a Sunday on a new-to-me motocross bike at the time. Obviously, I was thinking I was better than what I was, I presume. And I came off, went over the handlebars at approximately 45 miles an hour. Right. Hit the ground head first. And I um, was brain damaged and broke my spine. And that was it. That was game over. And I was revived twice, rushed down to Bristol into A&E and put into a coma. And I was in a coma for 10 days. Oh, wow. I had a 15-hour operation on my spine. I was given a 10% chance of walking again, but only a 3% chance of survival. So, yeah, 2014. Luckily, at that point, really, my then partner, she worked for me for some time. She knew the company very well. So did some staff at that time. So they all clubbed together and kept the company going. Yeah. Very hard on my then partner because obviously she was going up and down to a French A in Bristol to see yeah. me and also still running the office or assisting to 30 miles away. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, without going on, obviously, it's a massive story, but I made it out of coma, of course, was approximately three months I was allowed home. I had lost, they estimated between 20 and 25 years memory on impact. Oh, my word. My brain consultant, though, where I put my hands together, and he's like, my God, you know what I mean? <laughs> Just luckily, I happened to have one of the country's leading brain injury consultants. It was just pure luck that yeah. I had somebody like that that could explain to my family what was happening and help me through it. He said a workaholic never forgets his work. Well, there's truth in that. And I can remember I'd only actually walked back into my office probably two or three times because obviously I wasn't allowed to drive. I wasn't allowed to do anything on my own. Yeah. And I came back here and um, it was like it was normal. You know, I was firing up my computer on my desk and amazing all the paperwork and everything else. And I actually rang my consultant or messaged him and said, guess what I'm doing? And so it's like days after I was out. And he said, no, what are you doing, Derek? And I said, I've just done my VAT return. <laughs> wow. And he was like, that's not normal. And I was just laughing. I said, I know it's not. And I had to literally learn everything again. When I was at French, I had to learn to cross the road, learn to walk. I can talk, as you can probably gather, Colin. I can talk quite well. Um, Absolutely. But I had to learn everything again from simple maths, to spelling but it all comes back extremely quickly so even though it sounds harsh that you have got all that to learn and how do you do it because yeah. it's unreal it just comes back at hyperspeed it's, it's the only way i can explain it so you need to be determined to see it through and i was just absolutely obsessed and i still am the good thing was I wanted to drive again. So between the people at French A, they spoke to the doctors with the DVLA because somebody with a brain injury never drives again. Right. But they agreed that I was a bit of a different case. <laughs> so I had a two-hour driving test around Bristol with the guy that was the examiner if you like sat next to me yeah but i had two doctors sat in the back <laughs> from the dvla because it was treated that serious but i just drove like they weren't there yeah and not unsurprisingly i decided to talk all the way around because i had passed my advanced driving test before so 
I realized the same as what the police do. You talk as you're driving to say what you've seen, what you're doing, why you're doing it, that sort of thing. And that was my absolute bonus to getting my license back. They had a meeting afterwards back at French and they said, Derek, we've got no reason not to give you your driving license back. Incredible. So happy days. So then the next thing was, of course, I had a C plus E LGV license, which they ummed and ahed about that and said, we're not going to give you your truck license back, of which I said that that was fine because I haven't driven for years. Right. Because I was running my business. Yeah, yeah. So I haven't currently got a LGV, but... They did say that if I wanted to go for it again, because I passed my car test so easily, really, and professionally, they said that they would cover the cost of my LGV should I require it. But I haven't done that because I don't need to currently. It might be an advantage. The The only bit I do get a little bit amazed by is I can legally drive my Semlaf Tunner. Yeah. But I can't drive the next size up. So I can drive a three pallet truck down the road, but I can't drive a four pallet. <laughs> which it to me is a bit bizarre because the main thing I've got is a brain injury caused by a lack of oxygen. And also the bit I do suffer from is a visual defect and it's not a visual defect that glasses are ever going to help with because it's my optic nerve that when you stop breathing your optic nerves close down so it started to shut down very much on my left hand side so i've got no peripheral vision on my left hand side right yeah so if you imagine driving a truck or anything other than a car a van whatever you need to keep looking in your near side mirror a lot now you could glance across to the left to look in your near side mirror but i've got to move my head because i haven't got that vision scope to just glance in the mirror that is what puts me off driving anything big and also puts me off driving on the motorway because of that visual defect yeah It makes you a bit nervous. I haven't got a problem with my driving. I mean, I drive constant. But that side of it, I'm quite happy to stay away from. Cool. If you could change anything from your moving past, what would it be? Nothing. (laughs) Now, my first answer that crossed my mind then, Colin, to that question was simply that. I'm quite pleased and reasonably proud of what I've done. Coming from a total outsider into the removal industry, I feel like I've done it quite well. I've got a, a lot of happy customers over the years, and that speaks volumes in itself, isn't it, really? I mean, we're in that age of... um, online reviews and everything else. Yeah, so yeah. I, I get all that. But I've been given out a quality questionnaire at the end of every removal for yeah. years, probably 10 years plus. Yeah. So we get a form filled out by the customer, circling the questions one to five if we were any good or not, yeah. and signing it and putting comments at the bottom. And, I, and I've had some great ones. Ironically as well, that a lot of people are reluctant to do the online reviews. I try to push it because um, we're unfortunately or fortunately, depends on where you look at it, we're on this online world. So I kind of need both. I've got the hard copy review from the clients that the staff bring back after a move, which I get to see, of course. But I could still do with the online review for the new world, if you like. Trouble is with the online review, though, Derek, is that it takes effort. Yes. That's the problem. If you're presenting the customer with a feedback form at the end of the removal before the guys have left, then it's not really much effort. They're just going to circle a few numbers, hand it back to the crew. 
But when you're asking them to, can you log on to this website? Can you leave us a review here? Yeah. And normally the reviews that you then want them to leave are written reviews rather than just answering questions. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And then they've got to put some thought into it. So you've then got thought and effort. And it has to be an easier way of doing it personally. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And obviously you, you've got the online fake reviews and all that sort of thing to deal with, which I've got on Google as well as Facebook, that sort of thing. People that I've not even moved or don't even know who they are. And they're very, it's very hard to get rid of those. Yeah, yeah. And again, it, that becomes a bit of an obsession as well. I mean, you know, <laughs> trying to get somebody removed, they do it in seconds from wherever they're sat in front of their computer to wherever they are in the world. They just think, do you know what? Let's totally get rid of this company by giving them a rubbish review. Yeah, yeah. And then I've got to spend three weeks emailing people and trying to get hold of somebody at Google to get rid of it. And then eventually you just give up and think, do you know what? But a lot of things with running a business become obsessive. You do need to watch what you do spend your time on and what you don't, I think. Oh, absolutely. You know. Absolutely. So what is your high point of being in the industry? I'm very pleased to have the vehicles i've got the current staff are excellent uh hopefully that will expand as well probably believe it or not a reasonably high point was actually being accepted to the bar british association of removers because that is or was and i believe still is seen as the top end of our industry absolutely agree so when i was initially accepted into that i had felt like i had made it a little bit to be honest and that extends right up to date now yeah the western area the bar i nearly don't miss an area meeting good i very much enjoy it and I don't get involved as much with any um, outings or anything like that that they do. I I have done a few, of course, but from a a business point of view, I've got some good friends there that, again, that I, people that I've met that I trust and they are very much bigger than little old me in this (laughs) world. And I can drop them an email or give them a call to say, do you know what? what do you think of this or can you help me with this or have you got any of these for sale or uh, any trade assistance that sort of thing one thing that my previous discussion about the court case though with the other trade association i do not wear the bar badge on any vehicle ever i don't put any logo on any vehicle apart from my own why derek because what landed me in court was a so-called misuse of industry logo yeah, yeah, yeah. which was not the case and was proven in court yeah because uh just to pick up on that colin actually i use the bar logos and TSI Trading Standards Institute yeah. logos yeah. on my paperwork, yeah. on some of my advertising, on your website. Yes, website, you got it, all that sort of thing. Yeah. Which can be removed if need be very quickly. Yeah. One thing that I could get across to people that you need to do is any form of advertising that's carried out and made by other people, make sure you proofread what is created before it goes live yeah because the main one that landed me in court was actually a directory publication of an advert that i had agreed to they knew i was members of the bar but they had actually included the wrong right trade association logo yeah 
which I actually managed to prove in court that the other company didn't proof back to me the advert before putting it to print. And I managed to prove that. So the company that was dragged me into court, I explained, you need to claim against the right people, not myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously, they're not big enough to go for uh, uh, <laughs> a, a company like that. So uh, what they do mainly is, let's face it, the removal industry is very much full of small businesses trying to get by, learning as they go. And you need to watch certain trade associations because they're not all out to look after you and get your back. They're actually waiting for you to make a mistake. And one of them very recently has been all over the social media scene, which I've jumped on there and gave my opinion. And people know because of what I've been through, you get this very much ask Derek. He'll tell you what's what. And and only because what I went through was extremely hard work, upsetting, yeah. everything negative about the industry only stems out of that point. Take note, everybody. Take note. <laughs> so what one thing would you change within the moving industry? Wow. The biggie right now is how everything's so last minute. It doesn't cost anything to get a removal quote. Get a quotation in so you know roughly, or exactly even, how much it will cost to move. Don't wait until you get a exchange date given you or even worse, a completion date given you because it's too late. I mean, and how things are running at the moment and I've been for the past, what, six months to a year is everything is so last minute. It is unbelievable. I mean, I've been into four bedroom houses that they haven't even got rid of anything, let alone packed anything up. and yet they've got like five days until their completion. Yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. It's not just about getting a price, though, is it? It's also making sure that the removal company is aware of your forthcoming move and hopefully yep. could put you in the diary, even if it means yes. paying a deposit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, deposits I don't take. I never have done. So what I do with people, Colin, is go out, quote it, view the property as well. That's another one. Yeah. Uh, people might see it as old school and think oh, I'm getting on a bit or something. <laughs> I don't know. But virtual viewing yeah. doesn't work. Because how do you know that they're showing you everything to start with? And also, you can't really tell the access unless you go to it and you see it and you see the parking and you see the garden and everything. Are you saying people hide things from you, Derek? <laughs> <laughs> just just a little bit. Or they could do. <laughs> I know where you're coming from. To touch on something here now, I mentioned the marketing thing. One thing that definitely works for me is direct marketing every week. I've just doubled in the past, say, the past six weeks. I've doubled my direct marketing every week from 100 to 200. So I send out 200 direct mail shots to sold subject to contract homes and rentals every week in our area, say a 50 mile radius. Yeah, yeah. And that works very, very well. So then I get people that email me or ring me to say, I've got your flyer in the post. We're due to be moving in a couple of months, would you come and give us a quote? So I visit that home. I go there probably about 20 minutes, have a look round in very, very rough shorthand, take down the information that they've got, take it back to the office, decide how much cubic feet it is approximate, how many staff, what vehicles ideal. Again, for example, if there's a access issue, I might need to put two smaller vehicles on it, that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Email them normally the quotation. Some of them still post only. I had a couple this week that I've got to post the quote out to them. 
and they understand, all these people understand, that it stands until they move. The only way the price changes is if the contents changes for some reason because they've gone out and bought two new beds and a new free piece yeah. as well as, or if the location they're going to changes, so it's not a three bed down that road, yeah. it's a four bed up that footpath, yeah. that sort of thing. But they know where they're at. and. It's quite good way of marketing yourself, and they've met you when you viewed the home. Yeah, yeah. They're comfortable with you. They're happy with the price. Well, or gonna put up with it, whichever way you want to look at it. And it's for the service, isn't it? It's yeah, the service it, exactly offered. that, and that still works. It might be seen as the old school way of doing it, but it works. Yeah. You can do loads online, of course you can. But this is very much a hands-on industry. I haven't seen a house yet that I can click on my phone to remove a free piece. <laughs> do you see what I mean? So Absolutely. Obviously, yeah. there's a little bit of um, face-to-face that is good from the outset. Even on the very first phone call. It's great that I've got about this morning three or four emails that I got to uh, get back to them, but I might actually just ring them. Yeah. Because then they can speak to someone, be comfortable with what I'm going to do, what the next move is, that sort of thing. They can ask me whatever they like. It's more personal than any. Exactly that. That is exactly that. It's a personal service sort of thing. Mm. So, yeah. Cool. So what advice would you give yourself just starting out in the industry again? Don't. <laughs> what advice would I give myself? Just kind of don't give up, you know. I mean, it's it's pretty hard work. I don't think people really understand what it's actually like to try to run it. A lot of people say, oh, yeah, well, you it's hard work lifting it and all that. and I get that, of course, because I've done it. So obviously lifting the furniture, loading the truck, delivering it, everything about the actual removal process is not easy. But also what is the unseen is the ability to actually run the company in the first place is a lot harder than moving the contents of somebody's home out like, once or twice a week or whichever i think that is a a little bit of a shock the time it takes and the effort that is needed to run a removal company or any company somebody who is self-employed who thinks he's a removal company that's fine but he only thinks he's a removal company Sorry to say that somebody who's self-employed doesn't run a business. It is a a constant strain, a constant pressure, and you've got to actually fall in love with it. Otherwise, I think you'll probably fail. You need to get so involved with it all that everything is very much second nature. It's a little bit goes back to Colin, what I said about when my uh, brain consultant said, oh, like, you'll be fine. Anybody that's a... A workaholic. A workaholic. Yeah. Only a workaholic remembers his work. Yeah. And I literally had a job to remember my name, if you like, but I still knew what I was doing when it comes to um, what I was doing in my office. I still struggle now with names. Names is one of the things that's deleted big time. So right. suddenly everybody becomes mate. <laughs> All right, mate. <laughs> because you generally can't remember their names. Even staff, I've normally got their names written on the board in front of me so I can remember who they are. And it, it sounds like something and nothing, but you can't even imagine it until it happens. No, no. I, I just, I find it incredible. Absolutely incredible. It is uh, amazing. And look, looking forward though, Colin, I think because of I've been through something that literally is 
again, you can put a load of cliches with it, really, but I, I shouldn't have survived. And I beat a lot of things medically, which they can't explain. Well, you said it was a 3% chance. Yeah, 3% chance of survival. When they switched off my life support, they expected me to, unfortunately, pass away. Yeah. The bit that um, I always struggle with that is me and my daughter, and my only daughter, is extremely close. She obviously was brought in to, in theory, say goodbye to her dad. Yeah. That's a little bit of a hard one. Absolutely. But I don't understand that on the, that's the sad bit, by the way, that's the sad bit over and done with. Um, but <laughs> looking forward, because I can't work out how or why I survived, I did for a reason. And because I love my business and I enjoy the work, this will survive and this will get back to where it was before, which is why I put so much into it still. Yeah. And thankfully, I enjoy it. And again, so many cliches, but every day feels like a bonus. The only day off I have every year, or supposed to have a day off every year, is April the 6th, because April the 6th was the day it happened. So I always take that day off. I go back to visit the track that it happened at. And just, I don't know, just think for a minute. And then before you know it, you go back to work and it's like it never happened again. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. I don't ever want to make out that I'm something special or anything like that. And and because it's, it's not like that, it is what you say is it's incredible. Yeah. So where do you see yourself and the industry in the next five years? I think it's going to be... It's going to be a struggle. I think uh, I I don't think it's finished yet with everybody saying how hard it is out there, etc. I think that's got another 12 months to run yet. I'm hoping that I see myself seeing it through, of course. Things picking up again. Yeah. And I've got a little bit of an issue with Brexit. There's something we haven't spoken about, Colin. (laughs) Obviously, we were sold its advantages that never really happened. But its disadvantages is a lot of the UK workforce went home. And that was true. I speak to one main staff recruitment agency that I use, but I don't even know how they've made it through at the moment because... They had a lot of Eastern European staff that went home when Brexit kicked in. And some good staff, you know. I mean, I look at it like these people that came over willing to work, they knew what it was like to have nothing, to struggle. This is a little bit of a problem that you get with some potential removal porters, especially. So you've got some young guys who. I've not got a career, but they need to earn money. But now they can sit at home and get universal credit. Why why do they want to go and lift your furniture and boxes? You're having a laugh. Oh, this is true. This is true. Do you see what I mean? So there's certain aspects to the moving industry that could do with Brexit getting undone, as it were. And getting a little bit more workforce back into the country that would help out. I'm quite comfortable with the amount of staff that I've got right now, but because things happen so quickly, who knows? I mean, I, you know, next week I could do with another three or four people. And where do I see it going again though, Colin? Sorry, that's what you did ask, wasn't it? Um, I see it actually getting better. I think the removal industry will calm and kick back in a lot of it is to do with people are uncertain of where the country is yeah so obviously they're not willing to throw their money around because they don't really know whether they're doing it for the right thing for the future exactly so it might be 
I think at least a year before things calm, which is where my other work kicks into it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've got a removal next week. We've got two office premises and stock to move out, to move in to Thruxton Race Circuit for a show for three days and then pick it up and bring it back. So there's other work out there that's yeah. revolving around the removal industry. Yeah. It's not just about moving furniture, no, household furniture. No, no not, not just household furniture. There's other things out there. And, and it does feel like that certain things like that, the client didn't really know where to go. So thankfully, they came to me. Yeah. They did look around, but she said to me that she looked around and we seemed ideal. We're located ideal for them. So yeah, happy days, you know, keep bringing on work like that in between the house moving. Yeah. We normally find that removal companies have got something on the side, whether it be sofa deliveries or bed deliveries, that sort of thing. So, Yeah, I think that's definitely needed, to be honest. Yeah. Anybody who thinks that they're going to go out and buy a van, consider themselves a man and van or a a couple of men, whichever, you're going to struggle to keep going if all you do is move houses in flats or apartments or whatever you need something else as well yeah, yeah but there we are that's what i think so as you are a workaholic derek i take it you don't do anything outside of the industry to switch off or do you interestingly you see i i don't no i don't switch off but i don't see it as work i see it's just <laughs> it's life around the time of my um unfortunate accident yeah I've never been a fitness freak, a gym goer. I've been more of a smoking pub goer <laughs> in the past. But whilst I was in a hospital, I um, was encouraged to start using their gym. Awful things, Derek. Awful things. Absolutely. <laughs> but from that point, I've never stopped. A lucky thing as well, one of the paramedics that revived me on that day he said he knew I had smoked. They were told that there and then that I had given up. And afterwards, speaking to them, they knew and they could nearly tell you when I gave up. And I actually gave up five years before. I used to be a 20 to 40 a day smoker. And I enjoyed it as well. Mm. But I managed to give up. And that is really one of the paramedics said that is one of the only things that saved my life was given up when I did, Yeah, allowed me to be revived. So moving forward from that, I've been a gym freak ever since. I do three to four times a week with a personal trainer. Yeah, I left hospital at a very plumpy, fed by tube, as it were, 15 and a half stone, heaviest I've ever been. I've lost around about three and a half stone. Wow since then and, I, and i'm i'm comfortable my, my weight of just like 13 stone four 52 years old non-smoker non-drinker very much a little bit uh obsessed with my health eat properly i think you've got to be a little bit determined you've got to be determined to keep yourself fitting well and healthy and enjoying work as I said, I see work as life, not yeah. work. Yeah. I still enjoy motorsport, as in I don't actually go drive and watch motocross much. I did a couple of weeks ago, actually, um, and I watch it on telly a lot. Yeah. Um, what do I do outside of work? Apart from that, not a lot. Gym work, family stuff, and not a lot else, really, which might sound a bit sad. I don't know. No. But again, because I enjoy it all. Yeah. And even if that does sound sad, so be it. Because I actually, I love it. You enjoy it. That's, that's yeah, all that matters. Exactly that. Exactly that. Yeah. And finally, I like to end my podcast with a funny moving story. Do you have one or more to tell? Do you know what? I, I thought about this so much since you asked it originally. And, <laughs> and, 
I don't think I do have a specific funny point. So many things have happened over the years that I haven't been able to think of something that you could class as being funny. There's a lot of situations that we uh, come across that are uh, quite comical, that sort of thing. But I'm sorry, I'm going to have to let you down with that specific question. Because I can't think of anything that would be classed as <laughs> funny. That, let's face it, I mean, all sorts happens. I mean, all the time, and then it probably happens and forgot. But no, I'm sorry, Colin, I can't really <laughs> think of a comical answer to that. Don't worry, Derek, I will let you off. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Well, Derek, many thanks for giving up your time today to record an episode with me. I truly appreciate your time. No problem at all. Thank you very much indeed. Okay, Colin, all the best. Thank you. I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 69 of Moving Matters. Please rate, review and subscribe in your favourite podcast player of choice and please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters. My thanks and appreciation go to Derek Milner of In Transit Removals and Storage for giving up his time to record this episode. Thank you again, Derek. If you would like to know more about In Transit Removals and Storage and the services they provide, then you will find links within the show notes for this episode and on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. And please, if you have a funny moving story that could be relayed to our listeners or you would like to be a guest on the podcast, then do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Well, that is all from me, so until next time, keep moving. <laughs>